Uh, if you've ever watched the television show Modern Family, I don't know how many people will admit to that, but if you've ever watched the television show Modern Family, you know that the dialogue between uh, Haley, the older teenage daughter, and Alex, the, the intelligent middle school teenager, often goes something like this. Um, if you'll get me the answers to the chemistry test, I'll get you a seat at the table with the cool people. Uh, because what, what the, the older daughter desperately needs is for her grades to, to improve so that her parents will approve of her. And what the middle daughter desperately wants is a seat with the popular people, that she won't be just kind of the, the, the outcast all of the time. And she's like, if I'm at that table, then I'll be a part of the in crowd. And so they're always kind of working out these deals. Now you might say, well, that's so teenager. Um, I'm, I'm glad I'm beyond all of that. But the reality is it's, that's still us, isn't it? Right? Isn't it? Uh, we still have these sorts of problems. We still have these insecurities that we carry around with us. They've just been going on longer and the roots are a little bit deeper in our lives than they once were. Most of us, if not all of us, uh, wrestle with wanting to feel okay about ourselves, with wanting other people to feel okay about us, with wanting people just to like us and to accept us. Uh, we want to be able to look in the mirror every morning and, and like what we see. Now, uh, let me ask you uh, something. Uh, how many people would be willing to come up here and share the thoughts that go through your mind as you look in the mirror every morning? Okay? You know, some of us would, would run from that because we're, we're too disgusted or we're too disappointed with ourselves or what our lives have becomes, become. Some of us would hesitate because... You know, what's that song, that old country song, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. And, and that's kind of what we think. And we're like, well, I shouldn't say that out loud. Uh, and so we, wouldn't say, we have these kind of extremes we go to, right? We either think too little of ourselves or we think too much of ourselves. And the funny thing is that thinking too little or thinking too much, they both have the same root. It's the same root issue driving both of these uh, feelings of inferiority and superiority. Uh, and we're going to see that today as we work through our passage. So, uh, Galatians <clears throat> chapter 2, starting in verse 11. This is God's word. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, this is your word. And uh, I am not equipped to handle it well. I pray that you would work through me and above me and in spite of me. But that you would, you would speak to us this morning. And that you would show us uh, the glories of, of this gospel message. And how it um, can change every part of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, let me, let me kind of remind us uh, where we are in the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is, is Paul's letter uh, to the people in this church that he has planted. Paul planted this church uh, founded on the, the message of the gospel, that a person's made right with God uh, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing. Uh, after Paul plants this church, false teachers, uh, false brothers as he calls them, come in behind Paul and they say uh, something to the effect of, well, yeah, Paul's sort of right. You do have to have faith in Jesus to be saved, but you need to add to that the works of the law. It's faith in Jesus plus something else. Just Jesus isn't enough. And one of the arguments that they used against Paul was that they said, look, Paul just took the message that the Jerusalem apostles were preaching and he twisted it around and he doesn't have it quite right. Uh, And so Paul has been arguing, number one, I didn't get this argument from the Jerusalem apostles. I got it from God himself by revelation. Uh, Number two, when I did go and talk to the Jerusalem apostles and discuss this, they approved of what I, they agreed with what I was saying. They said, that's absolutely right. Uh, You don't have to believe in Jesus plus keep the ceremonial law. It's not Jesus plus something else. You don't need to be culturally Jewish. Uh, Titus, who was a Greek and not a Jew, he doesn't need to be circumcised to be a believer. It's faith in Jesus plus nothing else. Uh, Now, in Galatians 2, we find Peter, who is one of these uh, Jerusalem apostles, we find Peter, who is Jewish, eating with the Gentiles. Peter's He's eating catfish and a pork sandwich. He's, he's down at Bullhog. He's like, I've been wanting to go here forever and I can finally go. He's enjoying hanging out with, the, with his Gentile brothers. Now, earlier in Peter's life, see that doesn't sound that amazing to us, but earlier in Peter's life, this never would have happened because Peter was a good Jewish boy. Uh, he followed the clean laws of the Old Testament. Now, remember... The clean laws of the Old Testament, they were these ceremonial regulations that if you hadn't kept, you couldn't enter God's presence to worship Him. So if you had certain diseases, if you had eaten certain foods, if you had uh, come in contact with something dead, there are all kind of regulations like this, you were considered unclean and you couldn't go into the temple to worship God. Uh, these ceremonial laws were meant to communicate You've got to be clean if you're going to come into the presence of a holy God. But they're also meant to communicate there's no way you can make yourself clean enough to come into the presence of a holy God. Because what did we see last week was that even after you had done all of these, try to keep all of these ceremonial laws, you show up at the temple and they still have to offer a sacrifice for you. You still haven't done enough. You're not clean enough to enter into God's presence. Now, With the coming of Christ, what we see is that all of these ceremonial laws, they weren't needed anymore. Because all of these laws, this whole sacrificial system and all these clean laws, were intended to point to Jesus. They're intended to point us to the one who can actually make us clean. And so once he has come, we don't need all of these clean laws any longer. And so it's okay now... To eat all these foods that once you couldn't eat if you were one of God's people. Uh, Peter is a little slow to get this, but 
God shows up in this vision, and, and you can go back and read this this afternoon in Acts chapter 10. Peter has this vision where God shows him this sheet filled with all of these animals that he was not supposed to eat as a good Jew. And God says to him, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 I can't do that. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And God says, Peter, don't call stuff that I made unclean. And then they, they do this whole thing three times. Peter's like, no, 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 I can't eat that yet. Don't call that unclean. And then Peter gets up from this vision and he meets this guy named Cornelius, uh, who is a Gentile and who repents and comes to know the Lord. He's born again. He's uh, converted. And Peter finally connects everything. He says, okay, okay. God doesn't show favoritism. Uh, God, uh, he doesn't show favoritism. He accepts men from, from every nation who fear him. And later on, he'll say about the Gentiles, God made no distinction between us and them, having cleaned their hearts by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ. And so... Peter understands the gospel. Peter understands the change that's taken place in terms of the ceremonial laws. Uh, he understands that you're made right with God through faith in Jesus plus nothing. And so he's now made it his practice to eat with the Gentiles. Uh, he's seen that God accepts the Gentiles because of their faith in Jesus plus nothing. And so he accepts them as well. And he makes it his practice to have fellowship with them. Now, <clears throat> you still awake? See, because you, you hear all that and you kind of like, okay, that's interesting and all, uh, but well, okay, so we can eat pork now, great. Um, listen, you need to understand that Peter in many ways is really, we've talked about the freedom riders several times. Uh, these civil rights crusaders in the South who would, who would ride uh, the buses and, and go into places that were supposed to be segregated. They were trying to break down these barriers. But Peter, in many ways, is a freedom rider uh, in this sense. He's, he's walking with his, it's like he's, if this is 1960s Alabama, then he's walking with his black friends into the whites-only section of the bus terminal. Uh, or he's in the restaurants and he's going, in the restaurant, and he's going uh, and sitting with his African-American friends in their section of the restaurant while everybody's looking at him like, what are you, What's he doing over there? And this has become his practice. Uh, he said very loudly, the color of your skin doesn't make any difference in whether God accepts you or not. Your keeping of the law doesn't make any difference in whether God accepts you or not. It's your faith in Jesus Christ that makes you acceptable to God. I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to enjoy fellowship with you. But then here's what happened. All right, and I'm going to read this from the message translation because John Wright likes the message so much. <laughs> and this is how it goes. When that conservative group came from Jerusalem, Peter cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that had been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, even the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. So Peter's sitting at the lunch table. He's eating with all of his Gentile buddies. 
And then some of the hardliners come in, the people that said, it's Jesus plus keep the ceremonial law. They come in, and Peter kind of, he gets the wet wipe out and gets the barbecue sauce off his hands and kind of slowly backs away from the table. He's like, I don't, I'm not eating with you guys anymore. Why does he do that? Why is why why Peter being such a hypocrite here? Has he, has he changed his mind about the gospel? Did he have second thoughts here? No, the text tells us that Peter was afraid. That he's afraid. Right, just like uh, uh, Alex wanting more than anything to be accepted by the kids at the cool table. Peter wants to be accepted uh, by the circumcision party, uh, by the Judaizers. He wants them to see him as that same old law-keeping, religious, clean Peter who always did the right thing. And now he's sitting with the unclean Gentiles. And they're not going to think highly of him. He did not want to be seen eating ribs and hanging out with the dirty Gentiles. So, so what does Paul do well, Paul rebukes him, and, and, and from the message again, if you, a Jew, live like a non-Jew when you're not being observed by the watchdogs from Jerusalem, what right do you have to require non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs just to make an impression on your old Jerusalem cronies? Uh, in verse 14, Paul also says uh, that Peter's conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. The NIV puts it this way, they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. I had a friend once um, in college, he was pulled over by the police. They suspected he'd been drinking, uh, and so they asked him to get out and, and walk the line. And he was, he was very offended at this because he hadn't been drinking. I don't even think he drank at all. Uh, and he was very offended at, at the, the cops for this. And so instead of walking the line, he did a cartwheel down the line. And then he turned around and said, how's that? And they actually let him go. Um, but, but there's this line that he was asked to walk. Um, Paul is saying that the gospel creates a line for us. It throws down lines in our lives. And we're to walk in step with these lines. Paul says, Peter, you're not walking down the line that the gospel lays out for you in your life. You believe the gospel. You, you could check it off intellectually, but you're not applying it in your life. You're not living by it. So Peter's problem is, is that he's not uh, walking in step with the truth of the gospel. He's not walking the line that the gospel lays down for him. So... If that's the case, if Peter's not in line, if his problem is that he's not in step with the truth of the gospel, um, what's going on there? Well, let's ask two questions about that. Number one, what is the gospel that he's not lined up with? And then two, what does it look like? What does that mean to be in line with the truth of the gospel? How can that help us? What is the gospel? Look at verse 15 and 16 again. I mean, this really is, this is the heart of Christianity right here. And if you're ever wanting to kind of sum up for somebody what it means to be a Christian, this is a good place to take them. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. 
Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. This is a great sentence. He like says the same thing uh, three different ways. Uh, what is the gospel? The gospel answers this question, how can I be right with God? How can I be accepted by God? And all the world religions except Christianity would answer that question by saying, well, to be right with God, <coughs> whoever he or she or it may be, what you need to do is you need to obey his teachings. You need to, you need to do the law. You need to be a good Hindu, good Muslim, good Christian. Good. You, just, you just do these things. You do the works of the law and then God will look on that and he will reward you for your obedience. And the reality is, is that when um, professing Christians say, well, yeah, it's, or, or like these Judaizers say, it's Jesus plus, you're really saying the same thing. It's Jesus plus your obedience is what makes you acceptable to God. When you say that, you've said the same thing as people from other religions. Because at the end of the day, what counts is not Jesus, but it's that little bit of obedience that you've added. And so there's this religious way of approaching God saying, um, it's what I do. It's the works of the law, whatever that law might be. There's also this non-religious answer. How can I, or irreligious answer, how can I be right with God? Well, you might answer, well, if there is a God, I'm pretty sure he accepts everybody. And if you press them on that, you might say, well, okay, maybe not the really, really, really bad people. Maybe he doesn't accept them. And maybe he doesn't accept the intolerant people. Well, what's the irreligious person done in that case? Uh, they've either lowered God's, lowered God's standard. He accepts everybody but the really, really, really bad people. So they've lowered God's standard. But you, there's still a standard that has to be met. Uh, even the persons, people who are accepted are still accepted by doing something. Or they've said, well, he accepts people who are tolerant. And so you've created just another law, another work. Okay, well, I've got to be tolerant in order to be accepted by God. It's still a work. It's still you doing something. It's still based on your performance. And what Paul is saying and what the Bible is saying is that you can't do enough work to make yourself acceptable to God. You can't clean yourself up enough to make yourself acceptable to God. Let me, let me ask the question, how can I be right with God? Let me ask it in a slightly different way. How can I stand in God's courtroom and have him examine the facts of my life and say, I find you innocent of all wrongdoing. In fact, I find that in every situation, uh, you have loved God and your neighbor perfectly in thought, word, and deed. You've loved God and your neighbor with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Uh, you might say, well, that's a it's kind of tight standard. Uh, that's awfully high. I don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. And I would simply say, well, that's, it's not my standard. That's the standard God lays down for us in Scripture. It's the standard of a, of a perfectly holy, morally pure God. 
He says, this is what you have to do. This is who you have to be if you're going to be in my presence. Now, Paul says, it's not by works of the law that you meet that standard. It's not by being religious. It's not by being ceremonially clean. Uh, It's not by anything you do, but it's through faith in Jesus Christ that you're made acceptable to God. And you say, well, what does that have to do with it? What does Jesus have to do with my being accepted by God? Uh, Remember our illustration from a couple of weeks ago about justification and how God justifies or declares me to be in right standing with him. Uh, Imagine that there's a book here and it, it contains all the things that I've done in my life. All of my thoughts, all of my words, all of my deeds. When I put my faith in Jesus Christ, when I receive him as my Savior, when I rest upon him as my Savior, God takes that book of, of all my sin, of all my wrongdoing, and he credits that to the account of Jesus Christ. And Jesus pays the debt. He handles the guilt that I've incurred. He handles that at the cross. He takes care of that. But not only that, here's this perfect record of everything that Jesus has done, every thought, every word, every deed. When I rest in him, when I receive him as my Savior, that gets credited to my account. So that now I have the perfect, righteous record of Jesus Christ and not my own. And so before, all God could do is look at my life and say, you're guilty. Now the only thing he can do is look at my life and he sees me uh, robed with the righteousness of his son. He sees me credited with what his son has done. And the only thing he can do is say, you're innocent. You're not guilty. You are just. You are righteous in my sight. I accept you. See, that's, that's not something you can, you don't do something to earn that. There's not a work you can do to earn that. How do you get that? You receive it by faith as a gift. You rest on what Jesus has done. You might pray something like this. You look to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I, your Bible's right. I'm a sinner. Uh, and, and there's nothing I can do to clean myself up to come into your presence. Will you save me? Will you take my record on yourself and deal with it? And will you give me your spotless record, your spotless robes of righteousness? I believe in you. I trust in you. I am resting in you. And at that moment, as you're by faith looking to Jesus, you're justified. You're saved. You're declared to be in right standing with God. He announces the verdict right then that by faith not by the works of the law you are righteous you're in right standing with him that's the good news of the gospel Uh, that's that's why we're here that's what we're doing that's the message we are proclaiming uh, in the city of spartanburg Uh, but here's the thing that's good news right Um, I think we would agree with that. That's good news. Here's what most Christians do. For for most of us, the gospel is only glorious for a little while. It's this great news. All right, I'm in the kingdom of heaven. But now, I need to work hard and be obedient. Jesus got me in. And now it's... It's, it's like he just got me a ticket in the door. And now I've got to work really hard to make progress. And it's, it's all on me. 
uh, over and over. I'm looking at my hard work and my obedience. And we walk away from the very message that God has intended uh, not just to get us in, but to actually change us, to make us new people. We walk away from the message of the gospel. We know it, we believe it, but it's, it's like up here on the shelf somewhere. It's just, we pull this out to share with non-Christians. We don't pull it down to look at it and think about how it applies to our own lives. I put a, a paper up on our website a couple of weeks ago by Tim Keller called The Centrality of the Gospel. And a lot of this last point I'm, I'm going to make comes from that. So I'd, I'd encourage you to maybe download that and read through that this afternoon. Uh, but he likes to say that the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. That it's not just the beginning, but it's meant to actually take us all the way. That the gospel is not just for unbelievers, but believers desperately need the gospel as well. Now, you see that in this text, excuse me, you see that in this text in Paul's rebuke of Peter. Paul doesn't say, Peter, you're a racist. Quit being a racist. Peter, you're sinning. Please stop sinning. Instead, he says, Peter, your conduct is not in line with the truth of the gospel. Peter, the reason you're doing what you're doing is that you've forgotten the gospel. You believed it, but you've left it up here on the shelf. It's not the thing that defines your life. See, the gospel is simple, yet the gospel is profound and it has implications that we have to trace through our lives. Uh, In this case, what is Paul saying? He's saying, look, Peter, God doesn't accept you at his table based on your race on your race, based on your culture, based on your observance of the law. Peter, he accepted you based on your faith in Christ. So how can you turn around to the Gentiles and say, the only way I'm going to accept you is if you become clean in the sense of doing the ceremonial law and being circumcised. That's not in line with the truth of the gospel. You're getting offline from what the gospel says. I know you believe the gospel, but what you're communicating in your behavior is that Jesus isn't enough. You're communicating that it's Jesus plus the works of the law that make you acceptable. See, at the end of the day, racism really is a form of works righteousness. Because what you say is that I'm acceptable because of my color, because of my culture, because of my customs, and that Jesus isn't enough to make me acceptable. And so I've got to look down on you and your race and take pride in my race because Jesus Jesus isn't enough. And y'all, here's why I think this is so helpful and, and so key for us to get in and think about. When you think about when you have to confront somebody Uh, or maybe you've been confronted, he's sinning in some way. They're doing something they shouldn't be doing. What do we tend to do? We we tend to say, you're being a racist, stop it. You're being dishonest, stop it. Uh, You're doing whatever you're not supposed to be doing. You're in a relationship you shouldn't be in, stop it. Just, Just quit, you're not supposed to do that. Quit doing that. Paul does something, I think, much more helpful. He actually, he gets underneath... Uh, the external sin. And he says, look, 
You're relying on your race, on your culture, on your religion, instead of relying on Jesus. You're trying to use something other than Jesus to make you beautiful. See, Paul has this gospel approach to race. He's drawing out the lines of the gospel in this particular situation in Peter's life. Well, uh, let me give you a couple other examples. A gospel approach to sexual sin. The Bible says sex outside of marriage is wrong. Uh, and yet you're struggling with some type of sexual sin. And so we say to somebody, that's wrong, stop it, quit, don't do that. Um, well, what's underneath that? What's the sin underneath the sin? It might be, I need to be adored. It might mean, it might be I need to be attractive. I need to be independent. I need to find escape. And in all these things, we're looking away from ourselves. We're trying to deliver ourselves. Or excuse me, we're looking away from Jesus and we're looking to ourselves. We're trying to deliver ourselves. We're trying to fix ourselves. We're trying to feel better about ourselves. And we're not resting in the gospel. Or how about a gospel approach uh, to poverty? Uh, a more liberal person looks at poor people and and despises their religion, uh, thinks they're somewhat uh, ignorant, that they're victims, and what they need is my expertise to come in and help them. Uh, A conservative person looks at poor people and says, they're such a failure, they need to get their act together. They they, um, got themselves into this situation, they can get themselves out of this situation. But the gospel makes us humble as we look at poverty. And the gospel makes us humble because we know that we were spiritually bankrupt. Um, and the gospel makes us gracious because we know that we didn't deserve God's grace. And the gospel makes us respectful of believing poor Christians because we know, hey, I can learn something from them. It's not just that I have all of this to offer. I can actually learn from them. Uh, let me give you an example of this, of, of trying to apply the gospel to a, a real life situation. And I've, I've probably used this story before. I know I have in the new members class. Uh, many of you know who William Perry is. He was uh, the great offensive lineman for Clemson. He went on was a great offensive lineman for the Chicago Bears uh, back in the 80s. And, and right now his life is just a wreck. He's struggling with disease. He's struggling with alcoholism. Uh, there's, a, there's a big story about him last year online on ESPN. It's, it's very sad. Um, he had spent all these years where his identity was being the star, being the man, hanging out with the guys. And then once football was over, he lost that. He didn't have that anymore. He lost this identity he made for himself. And so you look at him and and you say, well, you need to quit drinking or you're going to kill yourself, which is true. But he needs more than that. What he fundamentally needs is to figure out that this self-salvation project he's owned for himself has failed him. And he needs to learn what it means to rest in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, To have someone say, you've been trying to establish your worth, your Identity. You've been trying to make yourself acceptable through all of these things. And that's, that's never going to work. You've got to rest in Jesus Christ to make you beautiful and to make you acceptable. See, we need to, we need to believe the gospel, yes. But we also need to apply the gospel. To trace out the lines of the gospel. That we are accepted 
uh, by God through faith in Jesus plus nothing. That makes a difference in our everyday lives as well. well let me close with this. I got three things I want you to do. All right, you got homework today. Uh, three, three things to ask yourself or to look at. Number one, I want you to look at, at some of the besetting sins in your life. Uh, some of the things that just, oh, I did that again, that, that you keep coming back to, you keep wrestling with. Look at some of these and ask, what's the sin underneath the sin? Instead of just, I got to stop this. I want to try really hard to stop this. What's driving the sin? What's the sin underneath the sin? Ask, how is this behavior not in line with the truth of the gospel? How am I not believing justification by faith? How am I trying to forge an identity for myself? How is this behavior really just a, a subtle form of self-salvation and works righteousness? All right? What's the sin underneath the sin? Ask yourself that. That's number one. Number two... I want you to ask yourself, in what ways have I been like Peter? In what ways do I communicate to other people, uh, you're acceptable to me um, by doing something. You're not acceptable to me simply because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You have to add something to the work of Jesus to make me accept you. Um, Race can be a problem. It's probably not our biggest problem anymore. I'd argue probably our bigger problem today is drawn along class and socioeconomic lines. That the rich look down on the poor, the poor look down on the rich, and the middle class look down on everybody. Um, and and we, we don't accept people because of where they are uh, economically. And we communicate that to people. We communicate to people, I'll accept you if you have the right personality, if you're funny enough, if you're intelligent enough, if you've got a high enough cool factor. I'll accept you if you have freedom from certain sins. There's certain sins, if you're doing that, I just, I can't be your friend. You know, do we, uh, do you ever drop into a whisper when you're describing somebody? You know, she, bless her heart. You know, we do, the, we do the bless your heart. We describe their sin in a whisper. Um, you know, what, what are we saying in that? What are we communicating to others about what truly makes a person acceptable to us and acceptable to God? So that's the second thing. All right? Um, apply the gospel to my own besetting sins. Ask what am I communicating about what really makes a person acceptable to me and acceptable to God? And then three, what is it that I think makes me more acceptable to God than other people? Right? Why, why do I think God somehow should be more, have more favor on me? And a good way to get at this is to ask yourself, um, what behaviors in other people are you the most angry about? When you see them do that, that, that really burns you up. A second way to get at that is, is to, to ask, um, who are the Christians you think aren't very Christian? Who are the people you say, they're Christian, but, well, you know they... Okay? That's, those are clues as to what you think really makes you an acceptable person. Because I'm not doing that. 
It's not about Jesus. It's about what I'm not doing. So ask yourself those questions. At the end of the day, it's a question of what makes me beautiful? What makes me acceptable? Is it the work of Jesus? Or is it something I do? And the gospel is a, is a call to rest in the finished work of Christ for our standing with God. But it's something that we don't just take and put on the shelf and say, okay, I'm in. But it's something that we keep pulling down and we keep thinking about and asking ourselves, how is my life in line with the truth of the gospel? Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, would you um, help us to ask ourselves these questions honestly today? Um, to think about what we communicate, to think about what uh, we believe, uh, to, to dig even a little bit under our besetting sins and uh, to look at the way we haven't applied the gospel there. Uh, Father, would you help us to do that? It's not easy to look at ourselves. Um, it's not easy to see who we really are. So I pray that you'd give us eyes to see. I pray that you would cause us to be... Um, uh, iron sharpening iron that we would be in one another's lives in ways that we can, can, can be each other's eyes and show one another uh, where we're not applying the gospel and resting in Jesus Christ alone would you help us to do that we pray it in his name Amen